Hi, this is Dr. MJ coming to you from beautiful Boston, Massachusetts. This is the Women in Dentistry podcast where we feature women in dentistry making waves and leading the industry through the next decade. I am your host, Dr. Mary Jane Hanlon, a former dental assistant, dental hygienist, and now dentist. I'm very pleased to introduce you today to Dr. Judy Fish. Judy graduated from dental hygiene school in 1978, then obtained her bachelor's degree at SUNY Oswego in 1980, and graduated from Georgetown University Dental School in 1984. Upon graduation from Georgetown, Judy and her husband, David Heaton, a GU classmate married in 1983, then served five years in the U.S. Navy Dental Corps. In 1989, Judy and Dave returned to Dave's hometown of Rutland, Vermont, and joined the practice of her father-in-law, which he had begun in 1962. Judy and Dave have practiced together since 1989, and the practice has provided dental care to the community for over 58 years. Judy was a delegate to the ADA House of Delegates from 2007 to 2014, and served on the ADA Councils on Ethics, Bylaws, and Judicial Affairs from 2006 to 2010. She was then president of the Vermont State Dentalist Society in 2007. From 2011 to 2015, she was the caucus chair of the ADA First District. And from 2012 to 2014, she was the International College of Dentists Deputy Regent from Vermont. Most recently, Judy served as the first district trustee to the American Dental Association with her term from 2015 to 2019. Her greatest accomplishment is her four children and one grandchild. It is now my pleasure to bring you to my interview with Dr. Judy Fish. Judy, I'm so excited that you have taken some time out of your practice. I know you've worked a long, busy day already, and I thank you from the bottom of my heart. You and I have known each other for a few years. I am really looking forward to having more in-depth conversation about where you've been and what you've been doing and how different your life is now that you're not crazy busy with the ADA. So without any further ado, welcome to the show and thank you for being here. And please just tell us a little bit about your story and how you got into dentistry. Well, thank you very much because I just think this is an amazing idea and opportunity and way for women to really have an opportunity to connect. And we all know the power of stories and the ability of stories to help one another. So when I was uh, 13, I was a, a frequent dental patient. I had a lot of primary teeth that had to be extracted and, uh, and then ended up with a fair amount of decay. And that was all prior to fluoride in the water. And so my general dentist began to see something and he asked me if I would like to have a job cleaning the office. I was 14 by that time, cleaning the office on the weekend. Well, I was a family of five children and my parents with not a lot of resources. So an opportunity to earn my own money was like huge. So I was said, absolutely. So, and my parents agreed. I started out as the cleaning woman and after about a year of doing that, he realized, hmm, there's something here. And so they began to show me the front desk and how to do administrative functions there, check in the patients. Nothing was on computers at that time, but I did that after school every day. And that way the person at the front desk could go back and assist the dentist. So it was a, a very minimally staffed situation. Within a short period of time after that, they began to show me how to assist. So after school, I would assist him and I just loved what I was seeing and started becoming interested in the field. And when I told my guidance counselor in high school that I wanted to go to dental school, he said to me, you're not in the top 10 of your class and you probably wouldn't get into dental hygiene school. And I said, oh, okay. And with that, I told my parents that I wanted to go to dental school. No one in my family had been to college. 
And my parents said to me, well, number one, there's no money. And number two, we don't think as a woman that you could do that. So then I mentioned to my high school boyfriend that I was thinking I wanted to be a dentist. And his response was, well, would anyone really marry you if you were a dentist? (laughs) So with all of that response, I fell and went, applied to dental hygiene school. And I was accepted and uh, was in hygiene school. And of course that was in the late seventies. So after my first year and we're in the locker room changing out of our white uniforms and caps and white shoes, I realized I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. I don't want to just do dental hygiene for the rest of my life. I want to be a dentist. So something happened where I said to myself, I'm not going to listen to anyone. I'm going to do this because I will be an old lady someday sitting in a rocking chair saying, I never tried to do what I really wanted to do because no money, not the top 10 of your class. You wouldn't be, you know, someone wouldn't marry you. So I didn't tell anyone. And I instead just said, I'm just going to keep going on for my bachelor's. And I went on and got my bachelor's in two years after two years of dental hygiene school. And while I was in my undergrad remaining years, I applied to dental school and I was accepted and I chose Georgetown. Mainly I chose Georgetown because the location appeared very safe to me compared to other schools I had been to and because of the history behind it. When I got to Georgetown, The financial aid officer there said to me, you have come to the school behind the eight ball. I didn't know what that meant. And I was like, okay, I'm I'm not sure I understand what you mean. And she said, you don't have any finances or financial resources. And I said, no, I don't. And she said, well, all you're going to be able to do is borrow whatever money we can get you And then we'll find you work, study jobs, and you'll have to, you know, work as well. So at that point, I was just like, you know what? I don't care if this is what I have to do. This is what I'm going to do. And that's what I did. And I had a work, study job during dental school. I had a waitress job on the weekends. And I had a job at an ice cream store making ice cream at, you know, late hours when the customers weren't there. So I am... I pushed myself because I wasn't in the top 10 of my class. So now I'm in a class of 150 of which there might have been 17 to 20 women, you know, at that time. And so I knew that from a lot of perspectives, I was behind the eight ball in the sense that, you know, some of these others were higher up academically. It came from money, but I, I, pushed and I was determined. And I met my husband in our class in in dental school. And we married after our third year. And my husband was the one who believed I could do this. And he was the first of real encouragement. And, you know, that was um, 37 years ago. And I really stuck to my guns and this piece of determination came out of me and it, it worked. It worked. When we graduated, we knew that it would be difficult to be together if we both applied for residency programs. We didn't want to have a marriage apart. And so we opted to go into the Navy. And we opted to go into the U.S. Navy because Georgetown had a fair amount of retired Navy dental officers in the the faculty. They were very encouraging. And we knew that they would keep us together for the first five years. We knew if we stayed in, we would eventually have to go separate ways um, because the military makes it clear your military property first and your family and everything else is second. Mm -hmm. 
But it was a way for us at that time to defer our loans. And of course, I had much more in loans than my husband because I had hygiene school, undergrad, and dental school in loans. And he didn't have as much as I did. So at that time, also, if you recall, the interest rates were anywhere between 13 and 18% for your student loans. Yeah. So it was a scary time. But at that time, I also had no clue what that really meant financially. And I didn't care because I needed to get to this point that I wanted to get to. We got wonderful experience in the military from a clinical aspect. I can't say enough about that. I felt so prepared to come back to private practice after that. Met wonderful people and our loans were on deferment and we were both making an officer's salary. And this was pre-children. And so we began to pay down the higher interest loans. And of course we lived very minimally and on top of that, you know, we spent the first 18 months at Great Lakes Naval Training Center, which is north of Chicago. And then they offered to move us to Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. For an, We signed on for another three and a half years, which we did because it was pre-kids. Um, but it worked out. We still had loans to pay when we came out of the Navy. But we came back to my father-in-law's practice and joined him and... I guess the rest is history. Here we are. So, oh my goodness, that is a great story. I did not know any of that. And we share a, a few similarities, but we can talk about that another time. How exciting and good for you. You know, that, that shows real determination. How were your parents when you graduated? Were they so proud of you? I can't imagine them not being. Well, when I got married, I chose not to change my name. I wanted my own name. Now I wanted my own name from when I was a young kid because like you, that was the seventies. That was the Gloria Steinem. That was the equal rights amendment timeframe. And I, and I, we were in college. I got very you know, intrigued with that. I took a lot of women's studies classes and you know, I didn't want to change my name. And I had the conversation with my husband. Okay, you change your name. Why am I changing my name because of what my body looks like, but you're not changing your name? He couldn't agree with me more. And people said, oh, your marriage won't work. Oh, it's not gonna work when you have kids. Again, I was determined to make it work. Now at graduation, my parents were embarrassed that I hadn't changed my name. That's a generational thing. and. It is what it is, but honestly, I believe all of these experiences continue to make me stronger and stronger, even though going through it, I, I didn't feel strength coming on. I felt, you know, I just felt a lot of forces against me rather than a lot behind me. I think they were proud, but no one had ever been through college, let alone professional school. So there were some issues around that, but again, you know, you just keep pushing. Absolutely. Good for you. Kudos. And we only, our parents can only do what they know, right? And so you reflect back on some of the things that you went through in your childhood and sure they could have done it a million and one different ways. My daughter could say the same thing about me and her son is going to say the same thing about her. So, you know, I think that we do the best we can with what we have at that exactly. moment in time, right? Exactly. And so, you know, it, it's our responsibility to grow from that. It's our responsibility to grow beyond that, I think. And great for you. Congratulations. You've done all of that. And, you know, uh, our children have done fine. We have four children. They have my husband's last name. Their friends have come into the house and they're like, oh, hi, Mrs. Heaton. I mean, Dr. Heaton. I mean, Dr. Fish. I'm like, it's okay. Call me whatever you want. I don't care. I know who I am. I know who they are. We're all connected. It's okay. So it's worked. So your journey, it did not stop in Vermont. Now, where did you grow up? I don't know that story. The Albany, New York area. Okay. Okay. So you went down to Georgetown from Albany and then ended up in Vermont. So your, your journey brought you to Vermont and tell us a little bit about 
you know, what what was like to be in practice with your husband? Because I do know that you've been in practice for a long time together. Yes. So my father-in-law started this practice in 1962 here in Rutland, Vermont. And we came back in 89 and my father-in-law was wonderful. He said, okay, you guys start figuring it out. I'll go along with whatever the two of you decide because you are the future and I will be retiring at some point. So throughout our career of then having children and getting into private practice and whatnot, we've decided that we've worked every imaginable schedule possible. You know, one of us would drop children off. One of us would leave early at lunch to get them out of, you know, preschool. And so a lot of juggling acts through the years. We worked together a lot, although many times during the day we would never see each other because of the crazy schedules. We did have to learn that fine line of how to kind of keep work outside of the personal home situation. And that came to light really evidently to me one night when we had gotten into bed, it was around 11 o'clock, you know, you're trying to relax and fall asleep. And my husband says, oh, Jude, I forgot to tell you, tomorrow you're gonna be seeing blah, 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 to take out his four wisdom teeth. I meant to tell you that, but you know, you can look at the x-ray in the morning. I was, I sat up in bed. I was like, David, if you were practicing with your roommate at Georgetown right now, you would not be in the bed with him. You would be in different buildings. So you could not tell him that at 11 o'clock at night, we have to stop this. We cannot do this to ourselves because now I can't go to sleep because I'm thinking about this. And so we realized, because even the kids would say at dinner, will you guys stop talking about that stuff? You know, we realized that there's this fine line and it's a hard line to find. It really is when you're busy juggling kids and the practice and employees and everything. It's a hard line to find, but we did it. Good, congratulations. And very proud to, you know, share with the audience that you just served a long time on the first district, but just served as our trustee for the first district at the ADA level. And tell us a little bit about your journey there, because I know it was not an easy path to get there. Um, I, I know that many of us were in that audience the day that you did your speech, like, totally blown away and so proud of you that you just knocked it out of the park. I mean, literally, you knocked it out of the park. And I could not have been more excited because I'm like, oh, finally, maybe we can get a female up there and, you know, at least represent, you know, we all have these conversations with Kathy and we all have, and I'm referring to Kathy O'Loughlin, who's the ED of executive director of the ADA. We always have these conversations about when are you going to see more females up there, right? So tell us a little bit about that journey because, you know, those four years seemed fascinating. Well, you know, I personally have been someone who's always been involved. I mean, you know, officer in high school, officer in hygiene school, you know, I've always been involved. I love being involved. So in my path of being involved, you know, you get involved in your state. I got involved in the leadership. I became president. I got involved in the first district. I, you know, I just kept going along and, you know, yes, it's a lot of hard work. Um, but when it came to the trustee position, you know, I, it was another one of those moments where I was like, okay, this is my chance to try. If I don't make it, I don't make it. But if I try, I will know that answer. So, you know, I worked hard, MJ. I, I did my homework, as we all do. I practiced, I worked with people. I, I just really pushed myself and focused because I really wanted to be able to see if I'd have that opportunity to get to the next level of carrying messages forward. I wasn't in the room other than during my speech, but I think the message that resounded to me and a message I've been aware of my whole career 
we work harder as women to prove ourselves. Now, maybe that's not the case as the years are going by and there's more women in the profession and more women breaking barriers in the profession. But I do know that for those of us that have entered this field at a time when there wasn't a lot of women in our class and then pushed our way through um, levels of organized dentistry, you know, I've always done my homework and I've always tried my hardest to be prepared because I knew I'd be called on the carpet for it because to some extent, you know, it wasn't expected I'd be able to do that. Being on the board was a wonderful experience. It opened my eyes to a fair amount. Leadership does not represent membership. Leadership is uh, in some respects, some aspects of leadership, I think are fearful of change and change is diversity. I'm passionate about diversity. I chair the ADA board committee on diversity and inclusion. I, it was an opportunity where I, I, I tried to subtly push, you know, subtly, because if you're not subtle in some of these aspects, you get labeled. I knew I was being labeled because I'm from the Northeast, because I didn't change my name, because my husband didn't come to all of the meetings, because I left my children at home with my husband, and because I come from a liberal state. Whether that's warranted or not, I don't know, but labeling takes place in, in settings like that. And, um, you know, again, I just kept trying to hold my own and be right at the same table and level as everyone else. Absolutely. So you're saying something different than I'm interpreting that. And to me, it's bias, no matter what way you look at it. There's diversity bias, there's, you know, Black Lives Matter, and they are biased against. In fact, there's a great book that just came out, I was reading a, a summary of it, about how even when we do data analysis, that there's a female bias already ingrained inside the analysis. And so, you know, we really have to be very conscious about what it is that we're reading, what it is that we're saying, what it is that we are doing, because that bias is even subtle and subconscious for ourselves as women. And we, the training to be much more aware of that has to be brought to the forefront, I think, because quite honestly, I don't think we're even aware that we do it or, you know, and I remember having this conversation with my, some of my African-American students when they, we went through Juneteenth this year and I heard some of them speaking and I just could not believe some of the things that they were going through on a day-to-day -day basis because their skin was dark. Sure. It totally blew me away. I had no idea that they were experiencing this. And I had no idea that this was a thing. And, you know, I was ashamed of myself thinking, oh my gosh, where the hell have you been? Has your head been in the sand all this time? I really was appalled that it was happening, first of all, but even more so that I was not aware of any of this even being out there and being an issue. So if that's happening to our African-American males, it's 10 times worse for our African-American females, right? And they have to be experiencing double bias, you know, the color of their skin and who they are as, as female leaders, right? So, you know, I don't know if you have anything you want to share about that, but it, just an observation that I have made in my own personal life and something that I... I'm tr struggling and trying to do something about every day because I know it exists. Personally, I think stories have to be told because when I've heard on social media since the Black Lives Matter you know, has come more to the surface and people will say, all lives matter, not just Black Lives Matter. And I say, and it brings me immediately back to an episode on the board that, you know, I may have described this to you before, but for those others that are listening, I will reiterate, we wanted to have a women's reception. 
We wanted women leaders to have the opportunity to get together at the ADA meeting at the end of the day for a quick hour, you know, it was in a reception area where people could have something to drink and we could all meet each other. We had to bring it before the board for approval. The board was not in agreement with it. The majority, I'm not gonna say everyone, the majority. And so we had to vote on it about three different times as to whether there could be a women's reception. At no cost to the ADA, we were trying to figure out ways we could, you know, get the food donated if we had so many rooms rented and, you know, creative ways of how we could do this or not have anything. Because the first time we did this, the energy in the room was so palpable. It was it was amazing. You could just feel it. And I kept saying to the board, when you just get women together, you already have the diversity there. So we have now conquered diversity by just tackling our women members. But by the time it came to the third vote, and we had to have another discussion, one of the males on the board said, we are all dentists. We are not women dentists. We are not male dentists. We are not Indian dentists. We are not Korean dentists. We are all dentists. And I'm hemming and hawing what to say in my head because I don't, again, want repercussions for what I want to say. But I had that force of, Judy, you're here for the next generation. And there's women coming up that need other women. So I said, there is a difference. You men will never be nine months pregnant trying to get up to the, that chair, that patient's head to do dentistry while it is hurting on that very stiff abdomen. You men will never have to go back to work four weeks after you deliver your child like was the requirement for me in the Navy and find a place to nurse or uh, pump in between your normal schedule because you couldn't have anything different than the guys. And there was no locker room for women. And I said, and you will never have to go back to work after having just carried a baby for nine months, given birth to a baby, nursed a baby, and now you're gonna separate yourself from it for eight, nine hours. And the room was very quiet. And the vote ended up being in favor of having a women's reception. What I learned from that experience, it was an aha moment, which was one of your you know, ideas. What are your aha moments? I went back to the hotel that evening and I thought, why did I have to fight so hard for that? What's behind this? And I thought for a moment and I thought, there's fear. There's something fearful behind this. And I, and I don't know what it is. And I thought, okay, wait a minute. I've been married to a dentist for 30 some years. I've been pro women for my whole life. Right. He's never stopped me or been against me getting together with women dentists and not inviting him. In fact, he'd always be like, yeah, you guys go talk about what you guys, I don't need to be there. And I thought, okay, what are these guys afraid of? And I realized that they're afraid of us planning behind their backs, looking to make some changes that will, you know, unseed them or, you know, uh, politically bypass them or, or whatever. Upset the apple cart. It's very simple. <laughs> and I thought, okay, my husband is secure with me as a strong woman. My husband doesn't back down from me and doesn't stop me from doing anything you know, within reason, of course. And I thought, and, and there's some insecurity here for these men. There's some insecurity. And I believe that's true because I believe the men, male students today in dental school are so used to having women around that they don't even think twice about it. And they know that you women need to go to the locker room and discuss things that I don't want to, they don't want to be a part of. So I believe that bias 
can change, will take a long time, but I believe people have to speak up and people have to share their stories and people have to stand behind their stories because they're real and they affect, they affect what goes on in the world, in your life, in our society. You know, you make a very valid point and maybe an observation that you haven't made yet, but one that I try to educate the female students when I do have a chance to spend time with them. You know, if you're not sitting at the table contributing, you have no one else to blame but yourself. And so on behalf of all of us, thank you for sitting at the table and opening your mouth because so often... I am in meetings with younger male, female colleagues, and they never say a word. And, you know, you can't be the only person in the room talking female and not get the sneers and, oh, here she goes again. You know, she's on bitch mode or she's on whatever mode, right? Now she's bringing our attention to this. It's just yet another thing she's complaining about. But yet, you know, what I'm talking about is normal everyday process and procedure, right? That improves efficiency, that improves whatever. If I was a guy, I'd be applauded for all the things that I was bringing to the attention. But no, you know, not, not always that that occurs. Absolutely have had moments of, of time when, yes, you know, I get the feedback that, you know, what we have done has been momentous and has improved things, but uh, more often than not, you know, you're not the most well-liked in the, in the group because you're trying to change things, right? Right. That's what we're known for is being change agents. And, you know, not everybody likes that and it's okay. It's uncomfortable. We understand. But what I have come to realize being on the board of trustees is that when you're in an organization overseeing a very diverse membership, you need diverse perspectives at that table. And if they aren't there, in my opinion, that jeopardizes the future of the organization because you will lose members. Because I don't know what it's like to be an African-American woman. So I want to know that perspective. I don't know what it's like to be a man that was born in India and came to the United States to practice. I want to know that perspective. I realized on the board of trustees that when people spoke up and gave their stories of what they experienced, it really helped you to think outside the box and from a different angle, a different lens. And that's the variation in perspectives that diversity brings to the table. I also think that there's women are fearful to some extent inside of themselves of being labeled because we'll easily be labeled and we'll be labeled negatively. And yet, you know, for myself, it's just been uh, maybe a journey of proving that I can do it, which, you know, I don't know what's the, the benefit there, but to also know I have given my boys wonderful example of what a strong woman is. And I have given my boys a, this is how you treat women with respect and with that they have the same amount of knowledge as you, that they can do whatever they want to do. So, and, you know, it's been a learning curve for my husband as well, not having had that exposure growing up. So it's an interesting journey and I think that if women can just realize that nothing's really going to happen to you when you speak out, someone may label you, but there's a good chance that someone's very insecure with you because you bring change and they're insecure with change. And yet we won't get anywhere without that change. That's right. That's right. So thank you for your bravery. Amazing, amazing story. I know so many little pieces about that story. And of course, I don't know the whole story because, you know, you can't unless you live it. But, you know, it's one of those things where I couldn't have been more proud of an, a fellow colleague and, and female colleague in during that moment in time, that period of time where you were representing us. Because every time we looked up at the podium, you know, at least we knew somebody was 
at least speaking out on our behalf, because I knew you weren't going to be silent. You were going to bring up things and you were going to challenge the status quo. And I think that that's what we all need to do, right? We all need to challenge that status quo. And not that I have any ill will to any male out there. I don't. But there are times when you just need to open your eyes. And I talk a lot with my, in my consulting and coaching about, you know, mindset and, you know, the difference between a growth mindset and a closed mindset. And with a growth mindset, you're open, you're open to change, you're open to new ideas. Closed mindset, you don't want to change anything. I love the way we always did it that way. You can always tell by that statement whether or not somebody has an open or closed mindset. It's definitely a closed mindset. Exactly. Right. What do you think is the single best piece of advice you've ever gotten in your career? When we came back to practice with my father-in-law, my father-in-law said to us, the most important thing throughout your career is that whatever decisions you make throughout the day, just remember you have to be able to sleep with yourself at night. And I was like, huh, that's an interesting thing. And it's panned out to be true. If you know in your heart that you're making decisions for the right reasons, that you're doing things for the right reasons, that you're helping people for the right reasons, that you're at the board table for the right reasons, you'll be able to sleep with yourself at night. And I just never ever forgotten that. And, and it's panned out for me to be very, very true. It's an amazing gift that he gave you. Because I do think when somebody gives us pieces of advice that carry through the entire lifetime, it's great pieces of advice. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Who has made the biggest impact on you in your career? In terms of in dentistry? Anything doesn't matter who, you know, who's the first person that comes to mind when I ask you that. Question. Well, when you ask me that, um, you know, I think of, of Gloria Steinem because I was so intrigued by what was going on. I grew up with three brothers and myself and one sister. And, you know, there was disparity right there. You know, at the end of the dinner, one of them would have to take out the garbage and my sister and I, one would be washing and one would be drying because we didn't have a dishwasher. And I would start speaking up and, you know, I, my dad didn't take it real well because, you know, he didn't like the fact that I was arguing about this. But that got me to read about the plight of women prior to me. That got me to take a women's studies course in undergrad and realize what generations previous and previous have done to help the advancement of women. And so I think because it was a pivotal time in our country, because it was a pivotal time being a teenager, you know, that, that really stuck with, with me and really influenced me. Yeah. You know, it's amazing the impact that some of the stories, you know, sixties and, and, you know, even one talking about the fifties, the stories are amazing and what they went through so much so that, you know, there were stories of, of, you know, instructors saying, you know, you're taking a male's place. Yes. And oh my gosh, why would, it's amazing to me to even think that that was an option for somebody to say that and how cruel it is, you know, that you would think that way, but that's the way they thought you were taking somebody's space and you shouldn't be there. And you, you don't deserve to be sitting at the table. And you know what I have also come to um, realize through the years it is I'm thrilled that there's so many women in dental school. I'm just thrilled because I've actually been able to live to the point where I, I've seen this change. This is wonderful because I think women make wonderful dentists. And why do Absolutely. I think that? I think that because we're compassionate we're empathetic, we're caring, we're gentle, we're nurturing. Mm -hmm. And I've had patients that, you know, all the anxieties and I'm, you know, through my career have been like, okay, let me give you the headphones. Okay. I'll put the lead apron on you. Okay. They'll say, but I'm going to cry. I'm like, okay, you cry. I'll rub your shoulder. Then you can hold my assistant's hand and we'll keep moving along. And I'll stop once you raise that hand. 
and the trust they put in you. And then years go by and they're like, hi, and hop in the chair. And they're like, don't care what you do. They don't need any of those little special treats to help them get through it. And I think the nurturing piece in us comes out, whether you have children or not, you still have that nurturing element as a woman. I really believe we make very good dentists. And I'm just thrilled to see so many women in dental school. 64% this year. It's amazing. I love that. It's wonderful. It is, at least at Tufts. So yeah, we're pretty excited about that. What obstacles in your life? I mean, you know, obviously we have things that cause bumps in the road in our lives from time to time, but is there any particular obstacle in your life that you've had to overcome that is significant to your journey and that you'd like to share? Well, I think my main obstacle was getting the self-confidence to keep pushing forward because for me initially there wasn't a support system. And I wasn't at the point of understanding all of these pieces from a emotional, psychological standpoint. But I realized that I had to keep pushing myself to become confident. And with every step along the way, it's just helped me even more. And an interesting piece to that is I've also noticed that women can often be very intimidated by confident women. And, and sometimes that's a challenge as a female employer because employees have a hard time knowing how to interact with you as the employer when they're used to men being their employer. And you know it's a, it's a challenging place to be and they're oftentimes threatened or uncomfortable around you when you come across as so confident. So, you know, I think that whole piece was, was my obstacle that has just been something that has worked through the years and developed through the years with all that I've pushed myself to do. So, you know, there's gotta be a characteristic about you that allowed you to be that focused. So do you have any idea what it was? I mean, you know, step by step, day by day, we, we, we gain confidence in every single thing that we do. And as you know, this is one of the reasons why I started this podcast. And, you know, the confidence piece is the biggest, one of the biggest challenges I see with our female students. So what, what do you think contributed to that determination? Is there something that you can pin it down to? Because, you know, why, why is it that some women gain it and some women never do? And you did under tremendous obstacles, believe, you know, I mean, from the sounds of your story, it, it sounds like tremendous obstacles. You weren't supported by your parents. You weren't supported by the guidance counselor. Everyone told you you weren't smart enough to do that. What, what caused you, what turned the switch on to help you get through that? Uh, I think behind that was I knew I had to prove myself. Um, Unfortunately, and I hope that's not the case for women today, but I, I don't know if I knew that or if I felt that, but on an underlying level, it was a matter of, I can't fail. I can't fail because if I fail, the answer will be, we told you, we told you so. And I was, there was too much at stake, too much to risk. I stuck my neck out far to push myself to go to dental school and sign up for those loans and not know how it would pan out in the end. And so I think that sparked this level of, of determination. Now, you know, is that good in some respects? Yes. In other respects, I have to watch myself because I tend to go, go work, work, do this, do that, go, go pick another project, you know, and I don't settle down and just do nothing. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. No. So, you know, it has its positives and negatives, but for me, I see it as more positive because mm-hmm. I've, I've done a lot that I wanted to do and I have no regrets and I won't be that old woman in a rocking chair wishing I had done blah, blah, blah. So this brings me to my next question, which is, do you have a favorite mantra or model that you live by? Because I'm going to share mine with you afterwards. 
my favorite that I have learned is to, I just tell myself to breathe. I just tell myself to breathe and think for just a minute before I jump, because I also have a, you know, quick personality. And for me, behind things are just breathe. So that's mine. That's a great one. That's a great one. So one of the things that I do on a regular basis is ask myself, okay, do I want to look back and have regret that I didn't do this? And that's what happened with the podcast. And I thought, I have no idea how to do a podcast. I have no idea what I'm getting myself into. I don't even know what to do first, right? Because it was completely overwhelming. But once I made the decision, I said, okay, we're just going to figure this out. But I never wanted to have the regret to look back and say, if I had just done that, what, you know, X, Y, and Z. And so I am forever thankful that I had the ability and the fortitude to do that, right? And so this podcast probably wouldn't be here if I did not say, I don't want to have regrets on this. Right. Exactly. And what a wonderful door this has opened. Yeah. I mean, it's just amazing. And yeah, women are saying, oh my gosh, I had no idea other women are going through this and had no idea that you can do this with your life. And the number of women you'll reach of all ages and the potential for those women to connect with each other or connect with someone for further you know, advice or support. This opens so many doors and we need that, period. But it's collective, right? And it is all of us together, we all need this. And it's all of us sharing, you know, whatever it is that we can to help the next person. Collaboration is is totally what I'm all about and what I'm on board with because whatever I can do to help you, whatever you can do to help me, perfect. You know, let's figure it out together. And I think that was one of the other things that I realized is that really women need to support women. We need to support each other. We all have our challenges. We know the difficulties of balancing everything. We know that we react emotionally differently to things than our male counterparts. And that's okay, but we need each other. We need to have that support system. Because I think when I was going through school, it was more like, think like a man, act like a man, practice like a man. So you fit right into this, you know, but scene. Why not? Right. But now we don't have to do that anymore. And yet we do have to support each other through this process. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Who in dentistry inspires you the most? Someone in dentistry. Well, initially it was my family dentist because he saw something in me. He gave me the idea to push and he's, none of his boys went, he only had two boys, went to dental school. So I was kind of like the adopted daughter that went to dental school and he's so proud of me. I honored him in my yearbook page. We had yearbooks then at Georgetown. And he's now my patient because he has a a home in Vermont and he's now my patient. So for me that it's all about relationships and personal connections. and, And that's really special to me. So Oh my gosh, what a great story. It gave me the chills. I can't imagine all those years and him being your patient. It is awesome to know that. What, that's fabulous. Um, tell me about you know, something that people would be surprised to know about you. They would be surprised to know, potentially surprised to know, that I really enjoy making quilts. Wow, I didn't know that. For me, it's very relaxing, but it's also a creative piece that, you know, I think is part of us in dentistry as well. It's a relaxing piece for me. And it's sort of a dying art to some extent. And and sewing is a dying art to some extent. But um, I took to it as a a young kid. And um, it's something for me that that I like to do when I have the time. I just haven't had a lot of free time. 
<laughs> well said, like most Someday. of us, right? <laughs> Someday. Yeah, you'll have free time. You have free time and you're going to have to make the time because your grandbabies are coming, right? Exactly. I have one grandchild now, 16 months old. Wonderful. Congratulations. Congratulations. Nothing better. I, I, I share that love myself and, and uh, nothing better than the day I spend with my little guy for sure. It's amazing. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. So have you had any aha moments that make you realize, oh my gosh, I'm exactly doing exactly what I was meant to do? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. The times when I have patients, as I explained earlier, that were so fearful, yeah. put their trust in me. And I told them we would do it this way. Every time you come in, it'll be in this room. It'll be me and so-and-so. It'll be, you know, I have it written down what you helps you. And then they, they stay with you. And then, you know, 25 years later, I'm like, do you remember when you first came and you were crying in the chair and now you just like, you know, let me do anything. And I was like, you know, okay, there's a reason. There's a reason that I went into healthcare. There's something in that personality. And I, I have a lot of gratitude knowing I was able to help somebody when I get somebody out of pain. I mean, I love that the most to know that the next day they're like, Oh, thank you. I love that the most. So uh, yeah, I think those are my aha moments for that. I remember the first time a patient cried when I showed them the mirror after reconstructing their um, anterior teeth that were in really bad shape. And, you know, you can't help but cry with them because you get so emotional when you see them cry. And, and it's such a rewarding experience thing, knowing that you have made an impact on somebody for something that they have been yearning for their entire life, right? Um, Exactly. And then when they hug you, mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, who would ever think somebody would hug their dentist, you know, because we've had a bad rap through the years. But, you know, that's what I like about being in rural America in a small town. And and, and I was very supportive of, of that on the board as well, because there's tends to always be people from very large metropolitan areas that make it onto the board of trustees. But New England's a little different in that we have, you know, a fair number of states that don't have huge metropolitan areas. So I am very supportive of the rural practicing dentist. I'm very supportive of the community feeling that you have. And and I've just truly enjoyed that. So it's been very rewarding for me. Excellent. How about a guilty pleasure? Have you, do you have a guilty pleasure that you want to share with the audience? I have a real sweet tooth. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that about you. No, I know. I know. I know. I know. Um, do you try to contain it? Because I don't know that I've ever picked that up. I try. Um, when it comes to chocolate chip cookies, I have a really hard time, but I try. And when it comes to ice cream, but I try, I try, but yeah. I have a real, and and I know, you know, I, but I tell my patients, Hey, uh, if you're doing your home care and you're watching that, that stuff isn't staying in between your teeth, you know, I'm not promoting it, but (laughs) you can get by. There you go. How about a secret dream that you might want to share? My secret dream has been to be on an Island on a beach where there's very, very few people around. (laughs) So I can just have the warmth and peace and quiet for a couple of days. You know, just a really relaxing place to go. And we get inundated when your mom, wife, employer, patients, you know, you're constantly getting bombarded in one way or another. And so that's my go-to dream, happy place. I, I don't blame you one bit. I hope you get there someday. Yes. I hope you do. So think back to being a struggling young dentist and you're starting your practice and you're paying down all the student loan debt and all the practice debt and you're learning how to become a leader because quite honestly, none of us learn how to do that until we're in our practices and we're forced to do it. 
what advice would you now that the person that you are today, what advice do you have to our young female dentists that you can share about things that you learned along the way that might save them some heartaches? Well, I think some of that is having a network, you know, having a connection, knowing the other dentists in your area or your state or your district, people that you can reach out to, having friends that you can have time with to, you know, as women, it's really helpful to have someone you can just vent and and get things off and bounce things off of. I think those pieces are extremely helpful as well as getting, soaking up whatever you can from any senior dentist that you're around. Doesn't mean you have to agree with it all, but we learned so much from my father-in-law in in terms of managing a business because, you know, at that time we weren't taught anything about business management in dental school. And You know, I learned a lot from others that were already out in the field that I could ask questions of, like in the military, you know, senior officers or specialists. And I was okay to say, I'm not comfortable doing this. Can you help me with this? Or I've been okay through the years to say, Dave, could you help me see if I can find this mesial buccal canal? And vice versa. So I think it's really important to be able to reach out and just go, you know what? I need some help. Dentistry is not an easy field. You're working in microscopic areas all day with sharp instruments and burrs. And it's not that easy. You know, I, I mean, it's rewarding. Yeah. And every day something comes in that you've never seen before. And so problem solving becomes a huge part of our day. Right. And, you know, I have, an associate who graduated from Tufts in 17. And she bounces things off of me and I bounce things off of her. I will say to her, you know what? I was trained to do it this way. I don't even know if it's done this way anymore. So tell me how you were trained to do such and such. And it's really nice to have that back and forth. I don't pretend I know everything or my way is the only way. And in the same vein, I tell her what I've done when I've gotten in those difficult situations. I tell her how I deal with this or that, you know? So I think that's really important to be able to just be open about it because it's just not an easy career. You know, I, I think you're spot on, on on that observation because I think if more of us opened up about what our concerns were or what our challenges are and felt like we were in a safe place to just say what we needed to say when we needed to say it, I think we'd get so much more done. But instead we go into our heads and we go down these really negative uh, rabbit holes that don't lead us to any resolution that just makes things worse. So I think opening up is a really good point and something that we should do more of, absolutely. And there's nothing to be embarrassed about, you know? I mean, she asked me to come into her operatory today to deal with an unexpected situation. And and we worked it together, me telling her what I was trying. I hadn't been in that situation either, but I had been in enough situations. And the same vein, I've had her come in, you know, because we do a lot of our own with not having a lot of specialists. and, And I've enjoyed endo through the years, except, you know, those calcified canals. And I've had her come in because I want her to as well push herself, but I want her to know that I don't know everything. I'm okay to say to you, okay, I need to step back and clear my head for a minute. Maybe if you look at it and then I come back, that canal will jump right out at me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but bad chance, (laughs) bad chance. I know, I know. Oh my gosh. You know, this has been a really rewarding conversation, Judy. Thank you so much for taking your time. And I know you've already had a long day, but I've just loved chatting with you. You know, your insight on bias and your insight on a bunch of different things is truly phenomenal. And thank you for everything you've done for all of us um, on behalf of all of us. I sincerely do appreciate it. And I know many others do as well. Well, and thank you. I mean, to know that women are just continuing to push to help each other, 
we'll get somewhere with that. And, and so I'm very thankful for all these different, you know, things, social media that crop up. And so thank you for what you're doing, because I know there's a lot of work behind something like this as well. It's been fun. It's been fun. It's something new. Like you said earlier, you know, I think we all have that creative side, right? And so this is just my most recent creative expression. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy. It makes me happy to be able to do this. And then I go back to work after I'm finished, right? So, <laughs> yeah, right. Thank you, Judy. Thank you so much for listening to the Women in Dentistry podcast with Dr. MJ Hanlon. If you like our show and want to know more about us, check out our website, thewomenindentistry.com, or please leave us a review on iTunes. Join us for our next episode as we bring you another amazing woman leading the way for the next generation. Thank you.